full-stack engineer. That's a big idea that many in IT have glommed onto. We even have a show in the Packet Pushers Network called The Full Stack Journey with Scott Lowe. So being good at everything in the stack is somewhat of a reaction to being a deep specialist that only excels at one technology, or, or maybe two. But in modern architectures, full stack seems to make more sense because, after all, the network touches the servers, which run the apps, which need security and storage, and, oh, hey, let's automate it all. And so, yeah, if you go full stack, you're the baddest engineer on the block. Or are you? Can you actually go full stack, or is full stack a myth? That's today on the Data Knots podcast. Packetpushers.net, you can find this in all of our Datanaut shows about infrastructure engineering, or just search for Datanauts, spelled like astronauts, in your favorite podcatcher. You can follow us at Datanauts underscore show. I'm Ethan Banks at EC Banks, and with me is the inimitable Chris Wall at Chris Wall, who once built a blade server enclosure out of a full stack of Lego. Ah, you see what I did there? Our guest today is Tom Vachon, principal cloud architect at an institution of higher learning, and he is a self-described cloud graybeard. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on. Let's just jump right in here with this whole thing. We've talked a lot about full stack. The term gets thrown around in blogs and in tweets and in so on. I think, therefore, we have to level set because it means different things to different people. From your point of view, Tom, what does full stack mean? A full stack engineer is really someone who understands most parts of the OSI model for a technical term. You need to be able to understand how the networking works, how the application works, how the application server works, how the OS works. It's not necessarily being able to do all of it. If you get to do all of it, you're great. You're a unicorn, but it's not necessarily a full stack engineer because you're a one man band. You're never going to be able to get anything done yourself. So from my point of view, a full stack person really has to be able to understand all of those layers but go very deep in several of them. For my personal experience, it's going really deep into infrastructure and going really deep into networking, touching into application servers. I could code something. If you ever wanted to see it, I wouldn't ever look. (laughs) So, okay, you said understanding. Can you qualify that a bit? Because you said understanding, but not necessarily doing because you just wouldn't have time to do all the things. So... For example, I also have gone deep in networking, but I have some knowledge of uh, of storage, let's say. I don't know how deep I could go if someone sat me in front of, I don't know, an EMC or a NetApp array or something and said, make these things happen. But I have a, a clue to qualify as understanding. How much of a clue would I need? Let's take that apart a little bit. If you're talking about going deep into storage, maybe you need to know what a WWN is in Fiber Channel. Maybe not. Really, you need to know there's disks, there's LUNs. They kind of make virtual disks, and that's that. But then let's jump up the stack and talk about application servers. If we go deep in an application server, how deep do you really have to go? I'd say you need to know what heap is. You need to know what you know permgen is if you're talking Java. That's really important to help tune the thing, but you don't really need to know anything about Java other than when you run out of permgen, this is probably the thing you change. Hmm. Okay, so it's not hands-on knowledge as much as understanding the key critical issues that could impact my production environment and be able to have a conversation even if I don't know how to throw the switches. Yeah, exactly. I almost think a full-stack engineer beyond, you know, something that may or may not exist in a magical land of unicorns is really 
a specialist generalist, someone who knows a lot of things, has gone deep in many. But that's really where I think this term lands. Well, that's a good point, because if you ask someone else what full stack means, would you get a different answer, especially if we're talking software engineer versus ops and infrastructure? Absolutely. I think there's actually two different type of full stack engineers. If you think of, you know, a sandwich, it's bottom up, top down. If you were to put infrastructure because it underpins everything at the bottom, a full stack engineer from an infrastructure perspective would go, you know, the bottom piece of bread right up into the beginning of the mustard. If you want to really play this uh, metaphor out. (laughs) So they would need to know enough about an application language to understand what's going on. But a full stack developer, they don't really need to know how fiber works and how VLANs work, but they really do need to know how IP works. So they go all the way down to that tomato. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to get another qualification here of full stack. So we got different perspectives for dev versus ops, different things that would people would need to understand. But what about if we focus back on the ops side, which is where a lot of our listeners are, engineering versus architecture. There's a lot of bleed over in those practices, depending on how an organization defines your role. If you're an, an architect versus an engineer, do you see full stack meaning one thing or another, depending on if you're an engineer or an architect? Yeah, I really do. A full stack engineer is someone who can can actually do a lot of these things. They're more of a newer concept, in my opinion, because full stack architecture is basically people have been burned repeatedly over and over and over. And there are those drop-in parachute troubleshooters that you end up having. There are people who can design and understand the pitfalls of architecture, not just from you know a systems perspective, but a larger future-proofing perspective. That's really where I see that difference. An engineer who is a full-stack engineer can do everything right now, or, you know, 75%. But a full-stack architect knows that 75%, maybe knows even less, but understands that these four key items all across the stack really are the problems. Those are the ones that will always bite us and have bitten us in the past. You just described what I think of as the big differences between uh, you know, a true architect, someone who's capable of d- design and future-proof design because they've worked on enough systems that they understand, okay, if I put in this network design today in three years, it might be a problem because I will have put us into this sort of a box. And if we grow or if we you know, try to bring on new organizations to work on this, we're going to have a problem. Therefore, I'm going to design it this way instead to keep things open-ended and give us enough flexibility without having to rip everything out and put it back in again to accommodate whatever might happen in our organization. Whereas an engineer, right, you said, can do it right now. The architect has that future in mind. So then putting it into that full stack context, it's not just being a network architect or a storage architect. It's a full stack architect where you've got deeper knowledge across a bunch of different technologies and can see the future and design for that future with all of those different silos in mind. Yeah, exactly. It's the different silos that really matter. Being able to understand, you know, how the storage is designed and how to get the best performance out of the storage. And oh, by the way, we ended up burning it down because four different people were using the same controller with all of the possible throughput completely maxed out. So let's do it a little bit differently this time and 
oh, yeah, that's right. The application server didn't quite work that way. Ooh, maybe we should look at this different language because we actually have problems with Pargen or with Pause the World Collection. I mean, that's really the difference of an architect. An architect isn't going to be the person doing it. Some places they are, but in my opinion, that may not be the role of the architect, at least going forward. I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here because, I don't know, I've lived the life of where I had the title of data center engineer. And I still felt like I had to understand quite a bit of the stack, but I wasn't just narrowly focused on today's problems. Uh, I felt like it was just kind of the stereotype that I was plugged into. I still kept architecture in mind and tried to design the pieces and components that I was responsible for with the future in mind. I wasn't just kind of blindly banging my wrench against a server going, do your thing that you need to now. So I guess kind of twisting that on its head a little bit, I get like kind of the clinical and conceptual definitions of engineer versus architect, but I don't think you have to be one or the other solely as a mutually exclusive type term. I would agree with that. I think architects always have a very loosely defined job title. It may not actually be the definition architect. I say a lot of times somewhat snarkily that my job is drawing boxes, lines, circles, and arrows. That's what some people actually think architecture is. It's a currency of diagrams and definitions. I don't see that as the end state, especially where cloud has started to come into play because really a lot of the stack has been abstracted enough that you can actually spend more time where it's more important. Yeah, and I, I, I get that it's not clinical and it's not binary. There's gray areas and things like that. And I've also heard the joke that after you know decades of technical expertise, you know it's like you become a master of technology only to then become a master of PowerPoint. So I, I also have heard that as well. I just I remember when I was an engineer and and kind of wanting to be an architect and getting into that world and being told repeatedly like, oh well, you're not an architect, so you can't touch this sort of stuff. And I was like, that's BS. You know, it just it gave me a huge chip on my shoulder and maybe it incentivized me even more to go after like the VCDX when I was an engineer, just to kind of give people the middle finger, proverbially. Well, I, th- I think, I just want to follow on to that. I thought I think it depends a lot on the organization. So I've worked for, uh, I worked for one organization where being an architect didn't mean you lost your engineering responsibilities. It meant you were an engineer that was so competent, they put you in the architecture role. And the presumption was that your engineering work and knowledge informed your architectural decisions. And therefore, you were in a good place to therefore be an architect. You, you'd make wise decisions for the organization. But I hired a guy who came from an organization where he was like, wow, I got to do all this button pushing and CLI stuff that I thought as an architect, I didn't do that. So I, you know, he, his, his background was a, a sharp line of division between architecture and engineering. So, but Chris, I, I tend to agree with you though, that you, yeah. you do both. And most of the roles I ever have, uh, have had in IT have been both. You're doing both architecture and engineering work. I mean, and I'm on a soapbox a little bit, and I'm deviating. I mean, the, the idea here is full stack, and I just, I just, I, I could almost feel members of the audience that were like a shadow of, you know, like me back in the day, going, "Wait a minute!" Yeah, I just wanted, to, <laughs> I had to stay true to my roots and say, like, you know, what? I remember these days, and and really putting it back on on, on topic. It's more about 
what part of the stack you're covering, not the semantics of, of your title. Well, okay. So Tom, let me, let me kick a question back to you then. Um, some people have said that full stack is really just a rebranding of what we've just been talking about here, what really good engineers have always done. You go deep on multiple technologies. You Maybe you've got some architecture skills. D- do you think full stack is just rebranding or, or do we have a, a special reason to care about this specific concept of full stack? Yeah, I, I think full stack is a little bit of a rebranding of, like I said, the specialist generalist. You go deep on the multiple technologies. I think it's becoming more prevalent, partially because of stuff that's happening out in Silicon Valley. But more importantly, I think it's because some of the layers of the stack, the ones that were kind of you know hard, like networking to get right every single time, aren't important anymore because it's click a button and up comes you know an amazon vpc you Mm. don't need to know how to cider because they take care of it for you you know my takeaway is that it's it's a good reminder that even if you're an engineer doing engineering work you know tactical whatever you want to call it all of the work and everything that you put into it can either be helpful as part of the solution or additive as part of the technical debt. So just remember that always build like your work is going to last for decades because believe me, having worked in consulting, it usually does and try to pass along that, uh, you know, that architectural mindset. So you're not building something that's going to explode in six months. Hmm. What about you, Ethan? Uh, Somewhat related. We were having that conversation about architecture versus engineer in that segment. And as I was thinking about that, it's like, in a way, maybe that's where full stack is, is a rebrand. That notion of the, the, all the different things you need to understand to put an effective system in place. If you're a good engineer, you understand those things and you don't just run out and slam something in place because you, you read a how-to script on the vendor's work uh, website. Um, you have that architecture mindset, as you were saying, where, yeah, your work is going to last a long time and you should be creating it as if it were. And again, maybe that's where this whole notion of full stack can, uh, one of the ways that full stack can be brought to bear. Okay, Tom, I think we're all on the same page to a degree, at least as far as like, what is the full stack and where do architecture and engineer roles play in? But let's talk about something you mentioned earlier, cloud graybeard. What does that that mean? What does that term identify you as? Uh, Yeah, I actually had to find an article from James Hamilton written about last year to remember how long ago I started using Amazon Web Services. I started using Amazon before they had persistent block storage. I don't remember through several companies architectures that I designed that actually counted on the storage existing after reboot. That's kind of where I am with the graybeard. These new whiz-bang features they keep releasing, you know, Amazon, Google, Azure. I'm like, yeah, that's great. But at least common denominator is still compute, network, and storage. I don't care about anything else. So that's kind of where I am with the cloud graybeard. I've just been using it since 2008, before it was even out of beta, for at least for Amazon. So does that mean you use cloud ironically because you're so old, old school and you're, you're like a hipster? Yeah, I'm, I'm totally a cloud hipster. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to bring it back though. Uh, oh, okay. So your gig is cloud architect, principal cloud architect. I think that's your job title. What do your responsibilities consist of? That is a really good question. And this is going to make Chris lose his mind. 
it's touching all the new things, trying to figure out what's going to be the future and then implementing it because really the lines between architecture and engineering don't exist in the cloud, at least in my opinion. On a day-to-day basis, a lot of my work actually works around governance, making sure, you know, tags are applied properly, that people pay for their bill. That's really what I end up doing most of the day. And then for the rest of the day, I try to figure out what's next, like multi-cloud, how are we going to network all these things together? That's actually a really hard problem. And that's uh, one of my primary areas of focus lately is getting AWS and Azure to talk to each other and not doing it in a way that's financially impossible to do. That's um, at least something that's becoming a very important part is understanding the difference between CapEx, OpEx, how unfortunately the general accounting principles work. It's always been something I've been interested in, but it adds a new interesting dimension to full stack engineering or architecture because now you're paying by the second or the minute or the hour and they really rack up really fast. You're not blowing my mind in a bad way. I've dealt with so many different scenarios where the thought of good engineering being 90% research and planning and design and 5 to 10% implementation. And then above that, probably 70, 75% more on top of that, a political and you know layer eight problems that I agree with you. Clicking the button doesn't take a whole lot of effort. The ingenuity and the intelligence that you need is to know which one to click or more importantly, which one not to click. Uh, and that requires all the front end work. And, and kind of thinking about that as you bring up these various cloud providers, now I'm thinking, okay, since you're Mr. Cloudbeard uh, or uh, Graybeard in cloud, cloud Graybeard. Cloud <laughs> I like Beard. Cloudbeard better. That's be great. Awesome. <laughs> I have made up a new term. If you use that, hashtag Cloudbeard, respond to Data underscore show. So you, you started when cloud was like this in its infancy, you know, like, oh man, just, just an instance was like, there's no permanent storage and all kind of jazz. Now you're looking at it where it's like, oh, we want to hook up multiple public cloud providers together, which is nirvana. That's the dream. How does the organization that you support thinking about cloud contrasting to the original intent versus now? You know, what's that delta look like? Where I've been now is considered a cloud first organization. So we are actually shutting down our data centers um, that we own and moving everything to the cloud. But I've kind of run the gamut. My very first gig back in 2008, it was a Skunk's Works project. They brought me in to build an ad platform on EC2. No one knew how the ad platform worked. No one knew what EC2 was. So you get those, you know, the testing stuff. And now most people start in the cloud instead of, you know, just testing in the cloud first. Now you're into large enterprises like where I work, where you're cloud first. You're only deploying to the cloud and only very important specific cases are you actually staying on-prem things like you know critical life and safety building controls things that really cannot be separated from the on-premises does that mean lift and shift is playing a big role in your cloud deployments it is and i absolutely hate the term lift and shift my take on lift and shift i mean literally picking up your thing that you've got in your data center, whatever that VM is, and doing whatever it takes to get more or less the same thing in cloud. That's what I mean by that. I don't. It, does it mean something else to you? Yeah, it, it, lift and shift really does. Partially organizationally contextual, but I actually think the better term for most people to use is migrate and modernize. Because lift and shift just sounds like your right click V motion done. Which, if you can do it, great. If you can't, that becomes a much bigger problem. 
we're not going to right-click vMotion a Windows 2003 server. That just doesn't make any sense. Well, I think we could also argue just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yes, absolutely. No, you should, 100%. Because that's how you learn. you got to create fantastic explosions in the cloud. <laughs> and then when that giant bill comes in, you peace out and you go, successful migration. I I'm sorry. I see successful self foaming at the mouth right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think Migrate and Modernize at least describes it a little better because you want to get it out there. How you get it out there, it doesn't matter. It's what you do next that really matters. It's taking it from a single server and making it, you know, maybe multi-AZ or maybe separating the database from on the system to RDS or SQL, um, Microsoft SQL Server in the cloud. I mean, that's really how uh, I think at least larger enterprises are going to be able to tackle this problem because cloud deployments by themselves, they don't get you anything. It's just someone else's data center, someone else's power. Tom, I want to use, I want to use your sandwich analogy again. So let's visualize a delicious sandwich of your choice. Mine is Turkey BLT. Is, is full stack in this case where the cloud is like the tomato and then, you know, we're, we're just building a sandwich where on-premises is the bun the colo is like the mustard, the meat is, you know, infrastructure as a service, cloud is just one ingredient in the sandwich, or do I need to understand the full stack of the cloud and it's all the components within the cloud is the sandwich itself. Like the cloud is the sandwich, all the layers in the cloud are the ingredients. Like, I don't know if that makes any sense. I'm trying to use your sandwich thing, but that's where I'm going with it. I, I don't think that the cloud is really a sandwich. I think that it's more along the lines of, composable infrastructure really it's it doesn't matter where you're talking about the data center versus the cloud i mean theoretically most enterprises today hopefully at least have some sort of automation of compute and storage whether they're using the public cloud private cloud or a whole bunch of shell scripts there's got to be something in order to at least try to tie, you know, some semblance of at least consistency together. Maybe it's just run books that you run the command, paste, paste, paste. Is that the most efficient way? Absolutely not. But I think when you're talking about, you know, the cloud, if you want to, you know, do the bottom up, it's really gets, you know, right about to that turkey. It doesn't really go much <laughs> higher. I'm sorry, uh, when you started talking about like, you know, pasting scripts and things like that, that would be like the gas station hot dog. No one wants that. (laughs) We have stretched this food metaphor way too far. (laughs) Ethan, bring it back home. Bring it back home, baby. So, so Tom, so the way you're describing cloud, then it's not like, it's just one more place that you can run a workload in your mind. In other words, you can have on-premises gear that has presumably got some sort, as you put it, composable infrastructure. There's some kind of automated way that you're going to leverage that. And via whatever the orchestration system is, it could be running a public cloud. It could be running on your private cloud for some definition of private cloud. And it doesn't really matter from your perspective. And so when we're talking full stack, cloud is just one more element that as a full stack practitioner, you would need to have knowledge of one more tool that you got to be familiar with and understand how it works and the caveats as you go about designing a system and then operating that system. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're, you're right there. Um, that cloud in all of its definitions, whether you're talking infrastructure as a service, platform as a service or software as a service, 
it's just another toolkit in your arsenal. Frankly, when you're talking about something like force.com from Salesforce, you don't know that it runs on AWS. Of course it does, like most things at this point. But you just care that, well, I put that code in, that code does something, and then I can service my customers. You don't really care about part of the stack. You just care about you know the upper half. So that's really what I think is happening with the cloud and really, you know, full stack in general. So, okay, you're an architect. I mean, do you think full stack then is real? Do you consider yourself a a full stack architect or or maybe engineer since we kind of conflated those two terms a bit? You know, completely, modestly, absolutely I do. Uh, No. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think that full stack is real. Um, I think it's just a rebranding of the existing term. I am very likely what you would consider one of those full stack engineer architect architeers, whatever you want to call them, because I've been burned. I've I I started out in application operations, you know, then I went down to the nitty gritty plug this in, rack this here, cable this here. And now I'm kind of pulling back out as the cloud started developing and now I'm back into, you know, understanding how applications work and how they interface with each other. And, oh, by the way, they don't like seeing a IPv6 address here. They like seeing only IPv4 and all those very weird intricacies. Yeah, show me on the doll where the outdated SSL cipher burned you. Yeah, yeah. I still have to support Java 6. Please don't. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Dang, that's harsh. That's harsh. I, I remember when I was engineering as my career, you know, like as a customer, it was always someone would ask, what's the difference between an engineer and an architect? And like engineers actually work for a living. But doom So my actual my actual question is, Tom, from your point of view then, if full stack is real and you modestly feel like you're there or or that's what you're angling towards, it feels like it's a never reachable goal, but you're aligned with it, you know, because technology and solutions are always changing. I guess my question is, how difficult is it to reach being a multidisciplinary expert? But also contrasting to that, how, I don't know, necessary is that? Like the weighing difficulty versus necessity to be a full stack engineer. I think in today's job market, it absolutely is important and necessary to do it. It's not hard to do it. It's finding the right career choices that you possibly can or projects you can interface with, working with the business as terrifying as that may sound. It's really, you know, finding those opportunities to expand your horizons. It isn't going to be certifications. It isn't going to be training. It's going to be things that you didn't normally do in your day-to-day work. It's going to be reaching out and kind of stretching yourself. And never eating the gas station hot dog ever. Yeah. I mean, the chili dog's okay, though. In this segment, I love the point where it was raised. It's not how you get the cloud. We're having that lift and shift and and why Tom doesn't like that term. Uh, It's not how you get the cloud. It's what you do next that's the important part. And that has come up on Datanauts a lot, where getting to cloud is one thing, but next, refactoring applications or whatever you do so that you're efficiently and properly using cloud is the hard part and the next thing you got to do and and a really big deal. What's on your mind, Chris? You know, using a food analogy to describe technology in the form of a sandwich that's bucket list level stuff i'm crossing it off i'm very happy <laughs> but but seriously though i like that cloud is a part of the full stack it's the tomato or the lettuce or you know 
20% of your time, whatever you want to call it, it's a piece. Don't focus on it as just like the world. It's a thing. I'd recommend learn it, do things with it, own it. You know, it's going to take you far, just like any other technology. All right, Tom. So we've established that we think full stack is uh, got some kind of a reality to it. Does this mean big changes for an organization? Because on the one hand, we're saying it's rebranding. On the other hand, we're saying, well, you know, the specialist generalist, there's an evolution going on there. So if an organization is attempting to run their IT group full stack, what does that mean? Do they have to change their mindset about things? And I want to start with people and how they are organized. In a shop that means to run full stack, do they have to do some changing of that, how, people and how they're organized? Yeah, I think they do. Um it's the magical discussion of DevOps, whether that's real or not. I leave that up to the listeners, but it's really important to make sure that there are no silos when you're talking about organization. When If you're trying to do a full stack organization, you shouldn't have a network team. Well, maybe you should, but they shouldn't be completely isolated from the r- people who run you know, the systems, from the people who run the applications. Everyone actually needs to be sitting not necessarily in the same room, but, you know, in the same zip code, if if possible, or just talking. It's not so much about HR organization, while in some large companies that really matters. It's more along the lines of inner team communication, I think, is the only way that anything full stack actually ends up happening. What about money? You said part of what you deal with in your role is dealing with uh, allocations and chargebacks and these kind of things. Is there a impact there if you're going full stack as an organization versus not? Uh, It really depends how your organization is organized from a business perspective, not necessarily a technical one. Chargeback, showbacks, everyone has to do them whether they want to or not. I think um, the more important is understanding the implications of doing full stack for everyone. Like what does it mean when you know you do something in the cloud and instead of being an asset on the balance sheet on the left, it's now money out the door? What does that mean to the shareholders? What does that mean to the financial people? I wish I could stress how important understanding accounting is. Um, my dad's an accountant, so I kind of like fell into that land of thought. I mean, you're stressing the shift from CapEx to OpEx, whereas if you buy a server or a storage array or something outright, now that's an asset on the books that can be depreciated as opposed to some subscription service that you're consuming in the cloud. Correct. Yeah. See, that's that's why a decade ago I got my MBA because I knew this was coming. I'm very good at predicting the future. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But at the same time, I think I, I like to introduce things with jokes. I apologize to the audience. I've been trying to be fun on this episode. But I, I think you're underpinning something that needs a bigger spotlight. It's that when you're working in a model that is completely driven by operational expenditure and has no actual acquisition to it, like you said, there's no assets to deal with, and everything's paid by the second, the minute, the drip, the instance, whatever it might be, that's a big conversation to have because it completely departs from traditional IT spend. Yeah, so That's not something you just like figure out later because most engagements that we deal with uh, you know, when I was in the field was, okay, this bill has gotten monstrous and we don't know who to charge. We don't even know who's spending it. And oh my gosh, the sky is falling. And that just kind of alludes to the original point. Hey, have that conversation and expect that to be something you need to cross off your list. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's a really important point here. When people are starting out this full stack concept, 
more people are going to get their hands in the pie. More people are going to be spending the money. It's really important up front to say, if you don't tag things right, if you don't allocate your costs right, it's turning off tomorrow and you're going to lose your work. I'm sorry, but it's the only way that we can make sure that we're not burning our business stakeholders and trying to find money where there isn't. IT hasn't historically been a cost generating center. And that's, you know, professional services, but it's never internal IT that actually makes money for the business. It's always, you know, internal IT that either costs money because, you know, they're buying things or using the cloud, you know, burn the CapEx or the OpEx, or things are going down and then they're, you know, impacting top line revenue. Well, I got a question around some process changes that occur especially as you shift or are shifting to the full stack mindset or model, whatever you want to call it. And I know we've already kind of touched on business processes and communication. I think at every time we've ever brought up cloud and DevOps and just building IT that doesn't suck, communication is, is number one. So I think, I think we've got that. I'm more interested in the design process. Like how do I actually architect for this environment? What does that look like in this new process? And then the approvals that go with it, because it feels like there's a lot of people that can potentially be blockers when you have this, everybody's kumbayaing in the same zip code or room to build something. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. Some of the more traditional IT processes like ITIL really don't play well in a full stack mindset. And full stack is kind of a... um, 20 gallon hat six shooter kind of setup most of the times you know do the change ask for forgiveness later hopefully it didn't break but that's not always the way you want to do it i think architecturally you can pull that off a little bit more because you're designing for failure knowing that you don't have control over all that hardware for instance you know intel may have a cpu bug that has to get all your systems reloaded at once in a single availability zone designing for that it's really important. <laughs> um, executing on that design doesn't always work, but uh, that's really architectural design, I think, is a multi-phase process. It actually helps bring in the full stack concept. You're bringing in the developers and saying, why do you really need multicast? I mean, do we have to build an overlay for this? Or can we use a queue? Or can we use you know memcache, Redis, something? I think that helps build people into the full stack mindset. And then the approvals then become a much larger consensus. And I think most people are happy they're part of the process. And this kind of forces people to be part of the process. Talk about ITIL though, because I am not ITIL certified and haven't studied it in depth. But my understanding is that the way ITIL wants you to execute changes, it tries to keep components uh, apart and separate from one another to minimize risk. Which seems to be against what full stack is all about, bringing a lot of these components together. I don't necessarily agree with that. ITIL is all about managing risk, and I feel like adding way too much process to do it. I think more important, the way you could ITIL and full stack work is if you're doing microservices. If you're doing small, interchangeable pieces that can be pulled out and put in and updated kind of all on their own, I think that's okay. But from a larger overall perspective, things like ITIL, and I'm sure there are many, many other frameworks, they kind of just get in the way and slow things down, which 
isn't necessarily a bad thing, but not always conducive to trying to move the train ahead. Hmm. Okay, so another traditional area in IT where things have been siloed is in tooling. So uh, the network engineer would have the network management station, and they would monitor things that way, and the SecOps people would have their view of the world. What about in a full-stack world do, do tools become unified in some way that you can share across the organization and, and everybody gets a, a similar or well-informed view from other perspectives about what's really happening within the stack? Yeah, I, I think tooling has to be shared. Visibility has to be shared. And it's it starts with the small things like GitHub. Everyone must put their code into Git. It sounds like a crazy statement or maybe it doesn't, but those small things, just being able to, you know, almost what is known as insourcing, being able to see what other people are coding and how they're doing it, whether it's the network team or the development team or the systems team, it helps them create an understanding between each other. Then we're talking about network monitoring systems. You know, there's a million of them. One of the nice things that, you know, when we're talking about Cloudland is that a lot of the network metrics are already in a dashboard. You can pull them in with many, many different tools or a single tool. The one that always has been getting in the way, or at least hasn't been visible enough, and I think is well overdue is application performance monitoring. It's almost impossible to think about a full stack land if you're always you know, trying to prove that it's not the network or it's not the database or it, it's not the application server or it is the code, or it is not the code. If you have no common visibility from the network straight through, I think that's where you're going to have your biggest problems. And it's the hardest way to capacity plan. It's the hardest way to even right size. How do you know a server is 40% utilized if you're not reporting memory and disk utilization? Yeah, and there are companies that are trying to take this on now and abstract it from being... You know, we were mentioning earlier that you can kind of run a workload anywhere and you're just composable infrastructure and cloud and it's all one big pile of resources. So I got briefed by a company called Lightstep, not a sponsor at this point, just in the interest of full disclosure. That is tackling that sort of problem and they're going to be bringing hardware in as part of what they are monitoring to bring it. You got telemetry data from everywhere to be able to see, as you're describing, where the problem actually is across the board, no matter where it's coming from and being able to nail it down. So it, definitely a need and that, that unified view that everybody would be informed by becoming recognized in the industry as this is where we need to go to be able to do operations correctly in the future. I, I, I'll almost counterpoint that a little bit. I have dealt with uh, companies, not not that company, but other ones at previous uh, gigs where, unfortunately, the most value that this giant monitoring station that's supposed to do all the bells and whistles did was save my Active Directory server from getting a flood from the roof leaking. Um, but one of the best things that we ended up doing, and it's still there and it's been uh, propagated many companies since then, is using a old time series database, Graphite, a bunch of data. Who cares if you care about it? It's a, you know, a timestamp, what you want to call it, and a value. You may not need it today. You may not need it tomorrow. But that one day you need it and you need to see what happened in these 15 minutes, you'd rather have it. And they're super easy to run. They're lightweight for developers, lightweight for operations to use. 
It's just, you know, Telnet, Netcat. There's nothing to it. Well, you know that over time, and it's something we've seen many, many times over and over again, that, that centralization versus decentralization cycle. You know, oh, pull everything and mainframe. Oh, client server, push it all back out. Oh, put it all back in colos. You know, oh, push it back out, cloud decentralization and microservices. It's tiring. It's just the, it's just the way of life, especially with IT. And it's going to continue to happen. So question being, is full stack something that's going to fit into both of these cycles? Can we just kind of count on this being the way forward? Or is it only part of the current cycle and then we're going to be less stack or, or zero stack or, you know, no IT moving forward, something like that? No IT sounds great sometimes, but I think, <laughs> yeah. that, I think that full stack is just, as I said before, it's just the restatement of things we've already been doing. Even when you're talking about Colo, it's like you have to know how to rack a server, whether you were, you know, the CTO or a lowly, you know, cage monkey, it didn't matter. You had to be able to know some of these things. I don't think centralization, decentralization is really going to matter at this point. I think full stack is just a way to think and a natural extension of curiosity. If you're not curious and you don't want to know how something works, well, you're never going to be a full stack engineer or architect or developer. But natural curiosity of, and hopefully you have it, is really what gets you there. It's wanting to know how things work, whether they're really your job or really not. And I don't think it really matters whether you're a central organization or decentral organization. Well, Tom, that sounds like a good place to wrap up our episode of Data Knots today. Now, how can people follow you? you you've got a blog and a Twitter account. Would you share those things with folks? Yeah, so uh, on Twitter, I'm Tom Vachon. And in case you can't spell that, my blog is stayclassyinternet.com. Yeah, stayclassyinternet.com. I, when, when I saw that in the show notes, I went and checked out your site immediately. And it looks like you're starting a series on, uh, on multi-cloud as of this writing, yeah? Yeah, I have uh, one more in the pipeline and maybe another one to go. Who knows? Cool. Well, thanks for joining us today, Tom. And thanks to you for listening to the Data Knots podcast. You can reach Ethan, that would be me, at EC Banks on Twitter or via packetpushers.net where I write and podcast. You can poke Chris with a virtual stick at Chris Wall on Twitter or via his blog, wallnetwork.com. And for more of our Data Knot shows about infrastructure engineering, fly your technology rocket to the Rebel Moon Base, that is, packetpushers.net. You'll find the Data Knots around the virtual whiteboard discussing containers and cloud, career, orchestration, hardware, API, scripting, certifications, and more. Really anything and everything for infrastructure pros. And if you've got something you want to hear from us, send a tweet to datanauts underscore show. We'll pick that up and add it to our queue of things to talk about. And until then, may your server lights blink, your stack be ever fuller, and your cables be cleanly managed. That analogy just totally threw me. <laughs> I try, I try to make awesome. it interesting. I'm, 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 I'm turning your own sandwich back are, on are, you. Are you a mustard on the top guy? Or <laughs> <on> the top? <laughs>